0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, Price and Coverage Match Limited by State Law. Hey, this is Dr. Chris from LoveLine. Hoping you and your loved ones are staying safe and healthy during this holiday weekend. All right, we're back and um time to talk about a little solo sexuality, aka aka masturbation. Safest sex you can have. Why? Cuz talking about sex, it's not about safe sex, it's about safer. And it's always about you deciding what level of risk you want to take and that's why we have options. Condoms, prep, um, all sorts of different ways we can take care of ourselves. So just be smart, ask questions. Um, but all things are not created equal. You cannot use anything and everything as a sex toy. Uh, there's a funny meme going around that said, everything's a sex toy. If you're brave enough. Yes. Yes, it's true. But we do want to think about, uh, safety and hygiene and, and risk and damage because that can happen. And I really do believe that healthy sex is sex that doesn't harm us right? Uh, the orgasm and arousal is not worth long-term harm. So the first one we always talk about is, uh, dirty fingers, dirty fingers and fingernails, sharp, dirty fingers and fingernails. I mean, when we're, when we're putting our fingers, um, when we're using them on ourselves, sometimes there's entry and we want to make sure we're not ripping anything, tearing anything. And that's why it's like this global statement on make sure that things are smooth, make sure that things are, you know, safe, make sure that things are made to, you know, be used on body parts, right? We can't just grab or do anything. So this is just like a COVID lesson too. We wash our hands. We need to wash our hands, but also pay attention to uh, whether or not your fingers and whatnot are manicured, right? Because there's a lot of dirt and, and grime and bacteria and whatnot that can live under your Nails, And we don't all really notice that, but sometimes sex play is involving our fingers and you want to really be very, very, very thoughtful about that. They, they, you know, look, they can make you more susceptible to transmitted infections when you have micro tears, right? And our fingers are dirty. Like really think about how many filthy things you touch. Also, like produce, produce isn't necessarily a hundred percent disinfected. I mean, I guess you can wash it on, put under soap and water. But like, remember, there's pores. There's things that can be held and trapped in like divots and chunks that's taken out of fruit or vegetables. They can be rough. Like I'm just thinking of things like a carrot or a cucumber. Those things aren't completely smooth, and those are not safe to be used in the body. So really think about that. But sometimes people <laughs> try to get creative or or interesting. Um, pay attention to that. You know, fruits and vegetables are. They're, they they encounter a lot of bacterial chemicals that your anal area, your mouth, your vagina is not prepared for or acquainted with and that can lead to infections, right? That our bodies aren't prepared to handle. So so think about that. <laughs> I love segments like this. I'm sorry. I'm not going to lie. And also when we talk about electric products, products that vibrate that aren't again made to be used on the body where they can, uh, the pressure can hurt you. The material can, can be abrasive. Um, it can heat up sometimes if used for long periods of time and burn you, because again, these things aren't always meant to be used for long periods of time, such as an electric toothbrush. Those are meant to be used for two minutes. You're supposed to brush your teeth for about two minutes and then turn it off. It's not meant to be used as a, you know, a sex toy, right? So don't just grab whatever you can think of and think that this is going to be good. There's bristles. Like I said, um, it can heat up. You don't don't, definitely don't want this could tear something. So don't put these things like in you. Right. Um, also uh, I'm looking at an article that was talking about some fun ones, a hairbrush. (laughs) Uh, You could use that backwards as a paddle. I'm down for that. But otherwise again, thoughtful, thoughtful, thoughtful candles, you know, that heats up. Some people are into the whole point of the wax. I think candles are great for setting a mood. Often when we have sex, we don't really consider all the senses, but if you really want to create some interestingly intentional and immersive romantic environments, think about all the senses, smell, texture, taste, and touch and, 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 and address all of those play some beautiful music or some kind of sounds in the background, uh, visual lights, candles, right? Taste have some food products to eat. You know, like all these different things add and amp it up and make it also just more meaningful when someone's really kind of thought about it. And finally, we talk about things for anal play. Make sure they have a flared base because some things can get pulled in via suction and they can get lost. So anything that's going to be done with anal play, essentially you're going to be using your hand, but if you want to really kind of do some kind of level of insertion, you want to make sure it has a flared base so it can't get pulled in or trapped because you just don't really want to be that person who has to deal with that kind of... um, Kind of situation. It's embarrassing, and some people panic and they try to uh, retrieve things, and that can lead to further harm or tearing. And this can also happen when some people are under, you know, intoxicants, whether it's drugs or alcohol or poppers. We're not always thinking, and in states of arousal, we're not always paying attention to safety, and and some accidents happen. And remember, sex is supposed to be, like I always say, it's like a donut. It's supposed to be one of those rare things that just feels good. That's it, nothing but positivity tied to it. We shouldn't do it under duress. We shouldn't do it in ways that we don't wanna do it. We shouldn't be left worse off for it or bruised or feeling bad, you know, or embarrassed or, you know, full of shame. So really pay attention, (laughs) be intentional. Now's now's the time that we can be doing that. Order some sex toys. Order some candles. Use the things that that are built for that, and that's the beautiful thing. There are so many sex toys that are available that are safe. They're they're built to be used with the body and on the body. Um, they come with instructions they can, they come with cleaning products. Just be very, 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 very smart. It's one of those things that we just don't legitimize sex. We're not willing to spend the time or the money on it, but it's valuable. And you'll learn that lesson when you hurt yourself. And I'm trying to prevent you from having to learn that lesson. Um, there that is. All right. So as promised coming up next, we're going to be talking about a new scam that's going around. Yep. We're familiar with the financial scams, which unfortunately are happening in droves during this time of Corona pandemic, but sex has found its way in. Uh, yes. Sex store, you want to stick around and hear about this one. We got licensed therapist Rebecca Sheeta joining us. Why? Because she has a family member who was sex-storted. So stick around and hear about that. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Question of the night. It's up on our Loveline AG page. Weigh on that. And if you have a question, you can slide into the DMs. We'll be answering those later in the show. Ah, uh, So let's talk about working from home. So I have some clients that are telling me about the different changes in their works systems and they're all from different, you know, backgrounds work-wise, but they're all being told in different ways that they're going to be working a lot more from home. Some of them completely. Others, it's a recommendation. Some, it's staggered work, meaning some will come in Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Others, Tuesday, Thursday. They're moving departments. Some people are told they'll work halftime. I, I love it. I love it because I know that for me, I miss being in my office face-to-face, but there's also been something beautiful about being able to just wear what you want and operate from a place of comfort at home where Traditionally, going into the office, there's so many secondary things that need to be done. You have to like fix your hair, put on something clean, drive to the office and all that can get very exhausting and very expensive. And so working from home for some people, uh, financially, they save a lot of money. They're able to just eat from home, wear whatever they're comfortable wearing. They don't have to purchase clothes that, you know, are quote unquote professional. They don't have to worry about gas or a car. I I love that that might be the long-term shift that changes and comes out of this. Studies also show that people having more flex time works better. Working Five days a week, 40 hours is exhausting. It burns people out. That's that's not reasonable. When we cut the hours back or we let them work from home, they can honor their energy levels, work when they have energy and rest when they don't. And isn't that, I mean, a, a business's job is productivity. I, I, I wish it was more centered in the needs of the people working there because they're called human beings, but corporation, corporate culture, it's all about just generation, generation. And so you would think that they'd be supportive of people doing what's going to help them be most productive. Look, there's this thing called psychology and everyone's is different. And so the idea that we have the same expectations on everyone is just not true. And it's also just not smart. And so letting workers work in the ways that are best for them is how you get the most productivity. Not everyone can have the same expectations of working the same hours, as same schedule. Our, our, our mental health is different. Our abilities are different. Our energy levels are different. Mental health is, is, is invisible. Some people have other invisible illnesses. My energy levels are very different from other people's and I work best in the ways I work best. And so it works better for me to set my own hours when possible. Like I'm not a nighttime person, shocker to people. And so I produce best in the morning. And so for me, being able to do some of my work in the morning is actually what's really powerful for helping me feel happiest and at my best. And if I'm, not happy, no one else is happy, you know what I'm saying? You know, work is such a centralized part of most people's lives. Most people spend more time at the office than they do at home. Most people spend more time with their bosses or their colleagues than they do their loved ones. And so why not why not rebalance that? Um, I never really understood the five-day work week, two days off. That's We talk, we're so obsessed in our culture with balance. It's about balance. Okay, well then let us work you know, three and a half and have three and a half off. That would actually probably rise to more productivity. Studies in China showed that it did. When they reduced hours to 30 or under 30, they got actually more output. So gotta look at science. It's all about following the science. But emotionally, we feel like if everyone comes to the office and they're all there a certain amount of time, that more work is getting done. But again, human psychology is into Visualize and it's subjective and it just doesn't work like that. So I'm all about it. Some people also no longer have to worry about things like uh, childcare. But then there's the other side of the world where people, some people can't work from home. They're distracted. They don't have privacy or the space. They don't have technology. They can't afford a computer or Wi-Fi or they have young ones running around. And so for some people, it's a joy for them to go to the office. Some people aren't in, in happy, healthy families or relationships, and going to the office is a source of joy. It gets them away from their sad life at home. It gets away from their partner. For some people, going to work is where they socialize. I know during the week, that's where the most of my socialization took places, at my office, seeing my clients who I love dearly, and then going into the radio station and seeing some colleagues, right? Um, Not everyone is highly social. For some people, workplaces where the most of their socialization takes place. I think that's why I've always liked working in media. You know, some fields, they allow themselves to be kind of a little hodgepodge. You know, kind of pull things and put them together. And I love that about media. It's not necessarily the most standardized nine to five, seven day work week. Um, And it's really beautiful, you know. All right. Uh, Question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page. So please weigh in on that one. And also DM, send them to us in our Loveline IG. IGDM page. Some people send them to me on my private DMs, and I try to collect them and send them to my producer and use them. But sometimes they kind of fall through the cracks. I don't really read a lot of those DMs on my private page. Um, in my downtime, I don't really want to do any, you know, clinical work, and so I kind of have a hard line there. I know some people want me to just take a few minutes, but um, after seeing clients in my practice and writing my stuff and writing the training program, y'all get your questions answered on Loveline, and that way, other people can also learn because a lot of the questions you guys ask other people ask or have asked and this is a way to really disseminate that information to a lot more people where just kind of putting little band-aids one-offs in my dm just isn't really helpful and it also doesn't really honor the work there's only so much i can type out where talking it can be a little more expressive and have more depth so whatever your questions are they're always confidential so put them in there all right coming up next we're going to talk about myths around therapy i forget that not everyone's been in therapy and there's a lot of assumptions out there that are made about what it's like what it takes what takes place and also who it's for. And right now during COVID, it actually is a stunningly beautiful time to get into therapy if you haven't been already because therapists around the world are offering teletherapy via phone, FaceTime, Skype, you know, technology, God bless it, it saves us. So take advantage of it. So coming up next, talk about myths of therapy or listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. Alrighty, all righty, we're back and uh, let's talk about divorce. Bum, bum, bum. Can't talk about divorce without talking about marriage, but Britain passed a law. Uh, it allows for a no-fault divorce. Now, that is what kind of is the springboard. So it's not about unpacking or talking about what's going on in Britain around divorce, but it's this whole topic of the loops, the hoops, and the obstacles of dealing with divorce. So, Let's start from the marriage perspective. And I think that there's a lot of really meaningful gems in this. So when we get married, it's it's a decision that requires legislation, legislation by the government. The government is going to step in and decide some things for our relationship, how many people can be involved in it, um, how, what we have to do to get in, what we have to do to get out. And there's benefits to that, right? We can talk a lot about, we see this in the gay rights movement, how without marriage, people were denied inheritance. People were denied power of attorney. People were denied seeing their loved one in the hospital, uh, tax breaks, all these things that are afforded people that are in a monogamous marriage because m- marriage is rooted in monogamy to people only. And gay marriage was about an equality model of offering all the same things to same sex couples that opposite sex couples have. Why? Well, because there really shouldn't be a distinction. It's just a different gender choice, but it's not rooted in anything powerfully or meaningfully distinct that should not make them as valid, right? Okay. So we we get over that hurdle. Now, the downside, and this comes up with a lot of couples I work with, is that divorce is quite expensive and it can be very tumultuous and it's not simple. And that makes some people stick around in a relationship, a marriage that they don't want to be in. And that is heartbreaking from a mental health perspective. Psychologically speaking, what are we doing at that point, right? We now have this legal bill and this legal structure that's getting in the way of us actually taking care of ourselves and what we want. And I want relationship to be rooted in love, care, and trust. And when that no longer is there or available, I want people to have the ability to leave easily. So... I am all about the movement away from marriage for some couples that aren't looking for those special breaks that come with it, or they have another path. And I really wish divorce was made far simpler. And I work with individuals on leaving relationships the way they entered lovingly, backing out the way they backed in. We slowly move in. It's okay to slowly move out. It's okay to be friends with your exes. We shouldn't burn things down. People are angry, but they want to punish. Shouldn't be about that. But I love this model. Of if we weren't tied to them legally and financially, we would have to just be a good, loving person. Otherwise, they could leave us and they could leave us very simply and easily. And I think that that should be allowed in some respects, in some cases, because it's heartbreaking to see some people stuck together or stuck together a little bit longer than they're comfortable with or, or desiring because they can't afford A divorce. And I also, it breaks my heart that there's some individuals that don't want to get married because of the divorce thing that could occur, but also because that doesn't feel good to them to sign a contract. I understand that and respect that. Because that could also lead to a lot of psychological backsliding and a lot of traditional gender roles as soon as people get married, especially when they have children. And there's some people that are like, I don't want to get married. Let's look at Oprah and Stedman. They have a beautiful, stunning relationship. Not going to get married they're not married now. They've been together for decades and they're not necessarily looking for that. They're not a fan of that. Also, I was talking to Chili from TLC. She's not necessarily a fan of marriage and that's going to be actually coming up uh, this Thursday on the I'm Listening Live and on Love Line. So you'll get to hear a tidbit about that. Um, but basically, sometimes marriage and divorce can remove us from what a relationship actually supposed to be about. And it becomes this consumerist capitalist uh, process, you know, and it becomes about when I say capitalist, I mean, in terms of like, and consumers, I mean, in terms of ownership, like I own you now you're tethered to me. You have to be in this. There's finances tied in this. And it's like, that's not what relationship and love is supposed to be about. This is a relic of where marriage came from. Marriage monogamy is only about a, I forget what the exact number is, but it's not that old. And Marriage was supposed to be rooted in ownership and acquiring land and money and control and families uh, networking. It wasn't about love historically, but now it is. People do marry and get into relationships for love but that can get lost in the process so i'm not saying marriage is bad and wrong what i'm saying is it can sometimes pull us away divorce specifically the weight of that possibility it can pull us away from the whole purpose i have a family member and they're in a miserable marriage miserable but they stay in it because that's what they've been taught to do why because they're married why because marriage is supposed to be forever even when it's toxic for both even when there's emotional abuse, right? Which we often allow normalize. A lot of emotional abuse is normalized. We see that as what comes with being in a commitment. And so the mental health piece just drifts away. The the part that love is what should be centering and keeping them two together drifts away. When the love is gone, the relationship doesn't need to exist or it can transition into a new form, such as friendship and we all get new we both get new sexual random partners but the friendship can remain but again a lot of traditional perspectives don't allow space for that a lot of toxic monogamy you know and i'm constantly talking about that because again that's that's that that is kind of like the the buzzword that this is all encapsulated within but you know again relationships should be relationships should be about love when it's not there we should have the ability to exit so again do what you're gonna do, but um, I would I would love us for start to I would love for us to start to work on solutions that exist outside of these two options only, and that's kind of where queer, queer and same-sex relationships kind of step in, and they show us the beauty and health of other relational styles and configurations. Single parenting. Uh, same sexed parenting, community parenting, and these are relational relational uh, constellations, as I keep saying. And um, they're alternative forms of family making, but they're equally as beautiful and as powerful. And you're going to start to see and hear more of that, again, because of the same sexed and queer individuals. that Some are choosing marriage, but many aren't because they realize that that was more of a heterosexual structure with a lot of issues and problems, and you can't easily exit out of that. And so it's a choice that many don't make. I get it, I get it, I get it. All right, coming up next, DM. Still time to weigh in on the question of the night, so do that. Coming up with those DMs, though, you listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and radio.com. All right, we back. Question of the night. It's up on our Loveline IG page. Weigh in on that. You got a DM, question you want to ask us, slide on into them on the Loveline IG page. Sexual accelerators. Now, we talk about sexual desire, interest, arousal, all those things. It's usually centered around what prevents us or blocks us from wanting to have sex, right? All the missing factors. But there's this other balancing element called sexual accelerators. So those are the things that allow us to want to have sex, right? It's the things that turn us on. Now, you would think that that's really basic and simple, but having done this work for decades, a lot of us haven't done the work to really understand the totality of our sexuality. And I'll say to them, what turns you on? And they'll say, you know, Women. Men, this height or something like that, really small factors to say, but what do they need to do? And then we start getting, oh gosh, I really don't know. Really? What parts of your body are the favorite ones to be touched? They'll either say they don't know or it'll be the same ones. And we don't always know these nuances. But everyone has these like on buttons, these sexual on switches, right? And the keys to figuring out what does each individual need that makes us be more responsive, more interested and push us towards Desiring sex, right? And you know, it's not as simple as just add these things, remove these things and remove these things and all as well. but it is about understanding again these nuances that factor in and have a cumulative effect. So for some of them, um, they are contextual, some are more psychological and emotional, meaning for some people, it's the environment, right? So the partner choice matters. And as we've said on another segment, um, you know, like foreplay extends outside the moment, right? It's not just what's happening in that second, it's how we feel about each other or ourselves prior. Like that's still symbolically in there. Okay. But you also have to look around the environment. And I mean that both. As vague or as specific as, well, is the room a mess? And does that turn me on or turn me off? Do I even acknowledge or notice that? Some people do, some people don't. How, does, how, does, how do I smell? How does the room smell? And that's where we talk about these little beautiful things of like adding things that are sensualizing or eroticizing, like turn off the lights, maybe add flowers, add some scents, add some sounds. Like these are the additions. Because those things can actually draw us there, pull us in, spike arousal. It's not always, again, about the removal of things. So that's more of the contextual piece, the lighting, the sounds. But then there's the psychological pieces, right? And those are a little more complex, but that means understanding, like, what I need to feel safer in the moment. Do you want someone to talk about your body and verbalize how they feel about you? Do you want someone to touch you in a certain place or in a certain way? Um... It's interesting, right? Where some of us, it's more spontaneous and someone can just kind of lean in and start kissing us. And for others, we need more of a bridge. And that's the addition. What do I need to get there? Um, and we don't even necessarily have anywhere we need to get, right? Like sexuality is a big umbrella term. And we often think it just means penetration, but it's this broad term. But what do you need to kind of get yourself in that mood or that space? And it's it's often interestingly gendered where historically, if I ask someone who's female-identified or presenting what makes them feel sexy, they can tell me. But I'll ask a lot of people that are male Identified, what makes you feel sexy? And they don't always even know. I'll say, What do you need to wear? They're like, I don't know. That's shocking to me. Is there anything you need to see or smell? I don't know. What about like sounds? I don't know. And, and again, it's interesting because I think it's, it's toxic masculinity, it's sexism, it's, you know, sex phobia, but it's time as adults to maybe do that work. If, if we don't know ourselves, then we can't be known by others and we can't necessarily have the kinds of sex or the relationships we want to have. And so this is just part of that consciousness. And unfortunately it's left out of, you know, a lot of therapy. We, uh, this is not something we often talk to our friends about. And part of, you know, again, the whole show I'm doing, the side show, the live stream show, the I'm listening live, it's about normalizing and destigmatizing talking about mental health. And I want to destigmatize and normalize talking about sexual health because they're intricately tied we can't have confidence totally if we have parts of ourselves that we have shame or guilt about and doing the difficult work of being able to honestly be within and express and talk about our true sexuality in the way our culture is structured. That is one of the most self-esteem and confidence enhancing things we can do. Our, our society has set it up that way. And that's like, that's the work. It's that sexual journey, but it's not honored. There's so many journeys that are honored, you know, career, um family uh fitness right but if you want to go on this sexual journey i want to take you know the summer or the year off to explore my sexuality people are like what you know and then we even drop into the deeper darker sexual pathologizing perspectives like you must be a sex addict it's it's wild you can travel the country you know exploring food and art but not sex you know, you can spend your afternoon uh, bird watching or reading about, you know, oh God, whatever, but not sex. So, anyway, that's where the journey lies. That's where the work is. It's these accelerators. What do I need that pushes me towards, that gets me interested? Not always looking at what do I need, what inhibits so use that system it's the gas pedal but you gotta you gotta figure out for yourself and also know that it's contextualized meaning the partner you're with that will change it as well where with one partner this is the context or the psychology or emotional experience i need but with another partner because it's a different thing i'm responding to and they're adding their own stuff to the system it's going to change so that's why we're a virgin with every new partner right? We're a virgin again every time with a new partner and sometimes with the same partner. Who are they today? Who am I today? What would we need today based on what's occurred yesterday and this week and what's happened at work or with friends, right? All these factors. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about feeling like you're too much because of mental health struggles. Happens for a lot of people. And then we'll be uh, doing some DMs. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. Hey, this is Dr. Chris from Loveline. Hoping you and your loved ones are staying safe and healthy during this holiday weekend. All right, we're back. I'm gonna tell you a little story. Um, it's a personal story, but I think it's valuable, relates to the topic of feeling sometimes like you're too much because your mental struggles. So, I was on a date, and this was a couple years ago. Powerful for me though. I remember it. I remember I remember all of it. And uh, we were on a date, and I was being myself. <laughs> I was being very gregarious and, you know, just energized and having fun. And my date turned to me and said, wow, you know, you're a lot, right? There's so much in that statement. First off, it was very shaming towards who I am and how I show up in the world, right? Because there's no right way. There's no right amount of energy to have. There's no too much or too little. Uh, There's no level of gregariousness or or I don't know, happiness to be out on a Friday night on a date with a crush, right? Take the compliment, but I digress. Um, but what's interesting is that they were centering what they're comfortable with and implied that anything outside of that, that they didn't feel chemistry compatibility or compatibility or comfort with, that that was bad or wrong. And also my response basically was, oh, wow, I'm not too much, you're too little. I'm not going to walk around with that shame. Like, I think I'm too big for you. I think I'm too much for you. You you are overwhelmed by my awesomeness. You know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't say it in such a obnoxious patronizing way, but that was the process I worked myself through while on the date and also on the way home from the date. Just trying to really explore like what, what perspective and narrative do I want to have on what just happened? How do I want to walk away impacted by what just happened? And I said, I'm not going to allow this person to make me feel like how I am is not okay because I know that it's beautiful and it's my strength. And there's a lot of people that would value it. And my work is finding the individuals who do value that. And I have, and this isn't the right person for me for a multitude of reasons. That's one of them. Also, who says that? They also implied that I was in on it with them. Well, like, yeah, of course I know I am. No, I don't know that and I'm not. So, you know, here in that, a couple things. One, that we get to decide what we take away from an interaction. We get to decide, do I want to take away something neutral? Do I want to take away feeling bad? Do I want to take away nothing? Do I want to take away feeling better? I chose the empowerment. What's the empowering perspective on this? But still rooted in reality. Um, And we also don't have to be made to feel like it's us that's bad or wrong. You know, this person was uncomfortable with me. That doesn't have to be my burden to bear, right? It's for them because there's other people that love my energy and my power and my strength, you know? So the topic becomes, we sometimes feel like because we have mental health struggles, right? Depression, anxiety, fear, sadness, mourning a loss that maybe we're too much. And that's a cultural issue because culturally imply that sometimes you are. I mean, when we hand someone a tissue, sometimes it's because they need one. Other times it's because we're trying to quiet them down and shut them down. Or we say something like, it'll be okay. That's saying I'm, I'm overloaded or I don't want to be present anymore or this is too much or I'm not comfortable sitting in it with you, right? And so we don't culturally value sitting in emotions, tolerating them, understanding that they can come in different levels of power. There's no right level of energy to have around an emotion, around an emotion right? Right. And it's okay for us to feel big or to feel small. It's okay for us to have a lot of energy or a little bit of energy. And we want to be very thoughtful about our commentary that we put out there on someone else. Because that person might be working really hard on self-acceptance. And you might have really inhibited or problematized or negatively impacted that. You know? And luckily, I was in a position where I was able to hear that and, 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 really make what I wanted to make out of it and say, do I want to, do I agree with that and take that in? Or do I leave that? But not everyone is. And some people are trying to heal the, heal the trauma and not feeling worthwhile. And I want to say that we never know who we're going to be in terms of our mental health. We never know what's coming. We never know what's ahead. God bless. I hope we don't have to encounter any more traumas than we already have, but maybe we do. And It's not okay for people to feel like that makes them undateable or unrelatable. We know that people that are struggling need help, then help them. Be there with them. Leave people better off for having been with you. How about we empower people? But imagine dating in a way where anything that makes you uncomfortable, you don't agree with, you shame and pathologize and you leave people worse off. And it might sound like a big deal made out of something small. And for some people it is. And for others, it's not because it's a repetitive experience they have or it reinforces something that they were afraid of. And so I want everyone to know that however you move through the world, hypermanic, hypomanic, high energy, low energy, hyperdepressed, anxious, it's okay. It's okay. You're okay. You're okay, You're okay as you are. And the work is to find people that can find the value and beauty in that, because it's not about assimilation and conformity and watering ourselves down. We do want to have an awareness of how we impact others. It's okay to want to work on changing some elements or aspects of us, but that doesn't mean that who we are is bad or wrong. And we never know what's down the road for us mental health wise. And so we want to be very thoughtful about this idea that some people are too much, too much for you maybe. That doesn't mean that they're too much in general, too much for everyone, or that they need to change. We don't necessarily need to always focus on changing ourselves for other people's comfort, right? Sometimes the work is the person who's uncomfortable going into acceptance and settling down and just allowing. I wish my date had just allowed me. Or they had tried to say, let me try to find the beauty in this. Or let me settle myself down because for whatever reason, I can't tolerate someone being happy and expressive you know, so sit with that. You know, it's work that we have to do on ourselves, but also in how we relate to others. Again, leave people better off. You know, that's what the work's about. All right, coming up next, slide in into those DMs. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back. Now it's time for some body positivity. Yeah, it's important stuff. Why? Well, we are with our bodies. We know about the mind-body connection, that anything happens to our physical health will always impact our mental health. And most things happening to our mental health will also have an impact on our physical health. We cannot separate them out. Culturally though, we try to kind of chop it in half and we ignore the impacts of one on the other, but we can't do that. And it gets perpetuated because we have these different systems where psychology is seen over there and you know, biological health is treated over there and it's never combined. And we need to start to do that. And that's one of the things I do in my practice is I do try to include more somatics and more of a body focus. And that's where we do talk about exercise and movement. It's a good way for people that aren't familiar with that to reconnect to their body and to touch and to kind of just get more grounded. And so... We'll be be focusing on that down the road, but tonight I wanna talk a little bit about male body positivity. This is for people that are male identified, this is for some penis owners, this is even for some people that are female identified that maybe have more of a masculine identification, not someone who identifies as femme. And for those individuals, often they feel as though they need to occupy a lot of space. Now that's something that I encountered as a young male is I was taught that in order to really be a man, I had to be big, I had to be muscular, And that was something that can be very terrorizing for someone who's of a smaller statue or someone who's dealing with some gender stuff. And what I mean by gender stuff is someone who's not really sure what gender presentation they feel comfortable with or what pronouns, and they're not really sure where they fit in. And for some of us that begins that journey at the gym and it can be normalizing to go to the gym and it can be fun and and movement and exercise is healthy for you, but it can have a darker side to it for a lot of individuals. And that really shows up, <clears throat> it can show up early on, it can show up later in one's journey. But let's look at some of the stats. So this is this is really heavy and concerning when I read these numbers. So four in five men, four in five, discuss their appearance and have distress about body image. And that usually centers around not feeling masculine enough or, or not strong enough. Um, and four in five men, that's about the numbers are about 80. That's about 80 plus percent. That is, that is too high. Um, 60% of men also struggle with wanting to remove body hair. So that's why when I talk about body t- body positivity, it's not always about your body size or shape. It's about anything connected to who you are as a human being in terms of your physical presentation and your physicality. And, you know, often it's thought of as just something that plagues women, you know, their weight or body hair, femininity, but toxic masculinity, the system, these ideals and norms that trap all of us, but especially people that are male identified, That's a huge number. Um, 60% want to remove their body hair. Body hair is a natural part of being a human being. We all are covered in body hair. It's just how thick is it? How dark is it? Uh, How prominent is it? And again, for someone who's female identified, it's a lot more traumatizing to be very hairy. And it is as well as for some men. And that also occurs very much in the men who have sex with men world, the LGBTQIA world, where there is an expectation in some circles to be as hairless as possible, having body hair seen as as gross or dirty. Um, For some individuals, though, it's very gender confirming when individuals are going on testosterone and body hair starts to grow. So it really is, individualized and subjective, but 80% having issues and distress around their body image, that's a cultural problem. That's not an issue with the individual. That's the individual being on the receiving end of cultural norms and values and expectations. That's not an issue with the person, right? And that's where the work becomes about changing norms and really being careful about our expectations, but also the languaging we use. And we have to look at media and advertising. We have to even look at the things that we support and the things we post, because that continues, perpetuates, and reinforces, or it challenges and it weakens. And that's why someone like myself, I I, I post certain photos and I make certain messages and text to really challenge and normalize a wider breadth of ability to present to be acceptable and to be desirable. But those numbers are far more problematic. And, you know, the gay community, the numbers are even higher. (sighs) There's a high number of gay individuals that have considered a thought about suicide related to their relationship and their feelings about their body. And that's why I push back on things that are body shaming because it's a large cultural mental health issue and people don't realize that. Some people are genetic lottery winners because they just naturally were born meeting the standards and they don't understand what the struggle's like. Or they're, or they're living in social circles that really value however they show up in terms of their physicality and their body presentation. And so this is foreign to them. This is also foreign to some people that are cisgendered, where the gender that they were given or diagnosed at birth is something that they're comfortable with and authentically speaks to who they are. And so they don't think about these things. Um, Again, we see this in a lot of women's magazines and the lives of women, women talking about these pieces, but we don't often feel safe talking about it for those that are male or male identified because that part of it itself is also not seen as masculine. Um, but again, sitting around in social circles, I, I do hear these discussions more. So, um, we're going to take a little break when we come back though, we're going to talk more about what are the signs that maybe you yourself are struggling with some of this, because some of this is a little more covert. Not all of it is to the extent of a high level of distress or for some people it even is, but it's become so familiarized to them, their social circle that they don't even realize that. So when we come back, we're going to talk about some signs that maybe this is some work that you need to do. Listen to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're doing a little body positivity. And tonight we're focusing more on those that are male, male identified with a male gender presentation and we're talking about the different levels of stress and pressure that they encounter as a human being on the receiving end of cultural norms and values because culture does tell us what we should try to achieve. Culture does tell us what is seen as most desirable. Now, some individuals live in smaller subpopulations or cultures that normalize other things. I see that very prominently in the gay community where if we're just going to use LA as an example, that's where I live. The west side tends to be more gym culture based. They're more about uh, removing body hair. They're more about tanning. It's more of a beautification. The east side tends to be more normalizing and uh, has more desirability geared towards people with larger bodies. Uh, Body hair, It, it also though expects more masculinity and toughness. Now those are stereotypes and there's a lot of things that fall in between and outside of that. But my point in saying that is that for some people, the work is about just finding those spaces that value who you are and reflect that back. And that if you're socializing in an environment that doesn't honor value or see a lot of desirability or eroticizes who you are, how you are, what you look like, it's going to be a lot of struggle. Now we're working on a larger level to kind of dismantle that, right? I want everyone to feel comfortable and safe in every space, but In the meantime, we have to look on a micro level at where are we socializing? what are we also looking at in porn? Are we looking at the kind of body we have and the kind of bodies that we see? Because if not, we're setting ourselves up to eroticize a standard that we don't live up to. So make sure you're also aligning who you are in the kind of world you live with, live in, with the kind of porn that you watch. That's powerful. The kind of porn we watch is, watch really does, again, strengthen or challenge or set us up to feel good or to feel bad. So pay attention. Um, does the kind of porn you're watching reflect back the kind of body you have in terms of body size, penis size, body hair, the kind of things that turn And I put a post on my social media and I was really pleased to see it got a lot of positive response where I was talking about normalizing all sorts of things, normalizing that penises uh, get erect and lose an erection easily. And that's healthy and normal that we don't always um, orgasm uh, as long or as quick as we want. Uh, We need to stop making small penis jokes, that's body shaming. It's shocking that we punish people for genetic things that they have no control over, such as amount of body hair, musculature, but also penis size. We, We shouldn't punish or shame people for being larger, smaller, differently shaped, because we're at the mercy of our genetics. And there's beauty in all creative, diverse ways of being, but there's a lot, a lot of shaming around that. So be thoughtful about the kind of porn you're watching because it can shame you indirectly and directly, and it can normalize certain kinds of bodies. So be thoughtful about that. But again, looking at some stats, um, 90% of teenage boys, now that's a high number. So again, it's give or take, there's going to be some deviation in that depends on who we're talking to. But one of the studies I looked at said 90% of teenage boys exercise with the goal of bulking. And as I talked about in the prior segment for a lot of people that are male, identified the work is about them believing they need to occupy a lot of space that to be manly is to be larger and muscular muscular and have a lot of strength um and 63 million men in the u.s alone experience body dissatisfaction Now, that's where things like going to the gym can come in and help, and they can help someone feel more empowered, more muscular, more accepted. But that doesn't change change the norms and values of our culture that has created that distress that has led everyone to feel the need to meet those norms. What if we just exercised for fun? What if we just exercised in an athletic sense? What if we just exercise for health reasons and to feel good? What if it wasn't about changing our bodies? What if we just talked about our bodies being okay as they are? Wouldn't that be stunning? We do have the control to do that because people create culture. Culture is at the mercy of people. We have the power to shift it and change it and we need to. That's that's the work. So here's the signs that maybe there's an issue and you might want to get some therapy or you might want to do some reading around some body positive books that challenge toxic gym culture and diet culture. My book Rebel Love powerfully dives into that. And I also frequently recommend working out with a trainer if you want to use a trainer that believes in health at every size, that won't talk about weight loss and calorie counting because again, that's rooted in body shame and living up to an ideal. That's not rooted in authenticity or learning to love the body you have or focusing on how it feels, right? So we want to get away from those terms and there are trainers and gyms that are centered in that, not not frequently, but if you can't find one locally, you can find one online, but you want to look for one that's not body shaming, that's body positive. And also you want to look for a dietitian that isn't a part of diet culture and they call them an anti-diet dietitian or someone who believes in health at every size. But the signs that you might need some extra work are if there's, if you ignore injuries and you work out anyway, if you pass up on socialization or family events in order to work out, um, if there's a rigidity in what you eat and anxiety about going out to eat in case you can't stick to a meal plan, right? Anxiety or depression when you're unable to exercise or work out, and again, it's that it's that rigidity, it's that high structure, it's that anxiety, and that should let you know that you're trapped in that system. If you're constantly checking your body, I see people at the gym constantly pulling their shirt up, making sure that their abs are there and looking good. And it's like, that is about aesthetics. That's about your confidence being tied to an aesthetic, your confidence tied to and your worth looking the way you're supposed to look. That's not about exercising for fun or to feel good or for actual health. And that's when there's a concern. And so check in on it. Does it feel fun? Do you feel free or do you feel trapped? Does it feel like something you have to do? Because as we age, as our bodies change, as we go on medications, as we have mental health struggles, as our lives get busy, we can't always, always maintain the size or shape we think we have to. And I want people to have a fluidity. And not to get concerned if that's not there. I want people to not have their worth and value and confidence tied to meeting a body norm or goal. And so that's the work. How can I get outside of that? How can I enter the gym or workout saying, I have no goal other than to work out in a way that feels good? I don't need to stress, I don't need to sweat, I don't need to push myself, it doesn't have to hurt. It can be fun and it should be fun. Find movements and exercises that are fun. There's so many ways to do it. You can stretch, you can run, you can jog, you can dance, you can um jump rope you can do yoga, you can meditate, you can do, um, gyrotonic. There's so many different forms of movement. And so just really kind of track the experience you have before working out, during working out and after working out and root it in true self-care. All right, coming up next, we're going to be doing question of the night and then some DMs. So stick around for that. Still time to weigh in on the question of the night on our Loveline IG page. You're Listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio.com. All right, we're back and we're going to talk about something that's a little controversial in some circles, really normalized in other circles. And for some people, it's a big old no duh. We're going to talk about three ways, threesomes, open relationships. So basically the umbrella is open relationships and non monogamy. It's it's a big umbrella. There's a lot of different things that can fall under it. Some people try to police those boundaries. There's, you know, swingers, there's non monogamy, there's throuples, there's threesomes. Basically, it's designer relationships, and I love that. We're in a time when people are designing their relationship sexually and in structure to meet their actual needs, to meet the actual needs of the people in it, and that's how it should be. People shouldn't squeeze into structures structure should meet the needs of where people are at. And that means they need to change and monogamy has been the gold standard for a while now. Not long, 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 only about a hundred years, but it but it hasn't really gone that challenged. And now, thankfully, due to media and publishing, we now know that there's a many different ways to healthily and successfully and beautifully manage your relationship. There are so many beautiful books written out there about non-monogamy and designer relationships by therapists, therapists who themselves are practicing it. I have a very colorful history because I depending on who I'm with in terms of our relationship, we run it the way that it needs to be for us. And that can change. So remember that. The entry point is don't be afraid of having that conversation of what we need because it can change. It should change. What works at one point might not work at another point. I do work with couples where they open it up and at certain points they realize we need to close it for whatever the reason is. And then we can open up again if we need to, or we can try opening it up and see how that goes it's okay to explore and to try. It's okay to ask questions. But the first thing is you discuss it first because non-monogamy or an open style has to be ethical. And that means we're all aware that it's happening. If you have decided to unilaterally open your relationship without your partner knowing that is not ethical, that's not fair, that is not compassionate. And that is not what we're talking about. I'm talking about all parties sitting down and discussing it. Then you have to move into what is it you're looking for? Right? And this all tells us how healthy the relationship is. Because I usually recommend only trying these things when you're in a healthy relationship because that's what's gonna be required to pull this off. If you're not in a relationship where things are feeling well or going well, consider just working on that first because this could bring on more complexity. It doesn't necessarily promise to alleviate all the concerns. And some people, that's why they do it. I'm no longer in love or the sexuality is no longer there for me and I don't really wanna address it, call it out, work on it or maybe even leave and so I'm just gonna open it up. And that's not necessarily an ongoing long-term solution for everyone, but you want to sit down and talk about it. What are you looking for and why? And let all parties know that this isn't a forever decision. We can change our minds as needed, just like monogamy can't be forever, just like marriage isn't always forever. And then you want to talk about what rules and boundaries you might need. And it's not about limiting or controlling the other person, right? That's rules, but we're talking about boundaries. Like what would you need the general structure to be to feel safe? And are we all on the same page? And then we have check-ins. Check-ins to see how it's going, but I want all relationships to do that. I want all marriages, monogamous or not, to sit down at least every couple of months and say, "How's he, how have these past couple of months or years been? What should we work on? What do we need to change?" What do we need to fix? Should we get in a couples therapy? That's healthy. But non-monogamy definitely requires that, right? But it's about time and it's about energy. So I definitely say, read those books. I can't in one segment walk you through every element, but I want to normalize it. I want to say it's okay to want that. It's not a sign that you don't love your partner or you're not attracted to them. It's okay to want diversity and creativity. Monogamy is not right for everyone. It has a high failure rate. It's not the best choice for everyone. Not everyone's built for it. It's okay to acknowledge that and to own that. I wish people had more space to practice that in the high school and to really figure out who they are and what they need and I see the younger ones doing that where they're more open to hookup culture and exploring their sexuality and working on empowerment and and trying different things out so if you're just trying to open up your relationship it's about finding someone who you want to have sex with talking to your partner about what you want to have happen talking to your partner about the ability to say this isn't comfortable for me anymore and the willingness to talk about it afterwards and say well, how did that go do we want to change anything do we want to do it again and then as far as opening it up are we both open to dating other people maybe we we want to thruple where we try to find someone that we both date together. There's so many styles. There's no right way. And there's not a name for every possible configuration. But again, it's about dialogue and communication. Why are we doing this? What are we looking to have happen? What might we want to ask so that we feel comfortable within it? Because it's in service of making us all feel good. And so no one should feel forced into any of these things. But if it makes you uncomfortable or you're scared, I do want you to take the time to ask yourself, what is that about? Is that about me? Is that about trust? Um, why do I not want what's best for my partner and for me, but don't be afraid of these conversations. And I also sometimes recommend maybe meeting with a sex therapist to talk it out, but there are so many beautiful books out there. Check them out. The ethical slut is a really beautiful one opening up by Tristan Terramino. She's a friend of the show. That's a beautiful one in my books, sex outside the lines and rebel love both talk a little bit about this. Um, so you'll hear more about it from me, but again, just don't be afraid of the topic. If a partner comes to you and wants to have this conversation, it's because they love you. It's because they want this to work out. It's because they want to make this relationship have longevity that they're going to ask for what might be needed so we can make it in the long haul. Because otherwise, it might not be able to last that long. And so don't see it as a sign of something being bad, wrong, or broken. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that. All right. Question of the night. As always, it's up on our Loveline IG page and the stories. So weigh in on that. And if you've got a question for me, you can slide on into the DMs. Old podcast versions of my show, Loveline, are at a wearechannelq.com and radio.com. And I hope on Thursday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, you're checking out my live stream show. I'm listening live. That is on all the radio.com handles, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the old and current ones. Good stuff. It's always celebrities and experts talking about the intersections of mental health and COVID. It's really nice to sit down with them and talk to them in that way. Uh, so coming up, we'll be doing some DMage and then question the night, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on radio. Radio.com.